0: This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have uh, Bruce Sanguin. He's an author of a book called Dismantled, How Love and Psychedelics Broke a Clergyman Apart and Put Him Back Together Again. Uh, Bruce is a psychotherapist living on uh, Denman Island in British Columbia, where he practices. Uh, Before he took early retirement, he was a minister in a progressive church for 28 years, and now he works as a guide for individuals who make pilgrimages to the island uh, or through Skype. Does intensive sessions and integration therapy with plant medicines. He's also a renowned speaker in the field of evolutionary spirituality and the author of uh, seven acclaimed books related to evolving spirituality. So, Bruce, thanks for coming. How are you doing?
1: You're welcome. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would bet because of what you do, you're asked every single time to relate, you know, your story of how you came to uh, be in the position you're in. So, you know, if you wouldn't mind, maybe you can give a little bit of background on on your life and how you got to this, uh, the place you're at right now.
1: Sure. Well, as you mentioned in the introduction uh, to me, told a little bit of my story. I spent 28, 30 years actually in a progressive church here in Canada called the United Church of Canada. That was my career and sort of preaching every Sunday and doing the clergy thing. And uh, then it became clear to me that my time was over and uh, decided to take early retirement. And uh I knew I had some growing to do, uh, in that I had fallen in love with uh my soulmate. And in the context of the, the growing intimacy there were some issues came up that were related to me mostly, and I realized I had some blocks that were keeping me from going uh more deeply. Uh something was getting in the way of expressing this sort of deep love that I had. And so a friend told me about Ayahuasca ceremony, and would I like to come? So the timing was perfect, and off I went to my first of uh, many ayahuasca ceremonies. And uh, subsequently, um, I started into psychedelic psychotherapy with a therapist and did about a dozen sessions that were four to five hours each long, and uh, using a combination of MDMA and LSD.
0: Quick, quick question here. You know, you were, I guess you were a clergyman for, you know, nearly 30 years. So when you first, when someone first suggested to you, you know, come do an ayahuasca ceremony, did you just say, yeah, it sounds great? Or were you, were you thinking, no, there's no way I would do that? Did you have reservations?
1: I had no reservations, actually. I mean, the reservation was that, you know, like everyone has a little bit of apprehension about taking a substance, which is going to... Render you more or less uh, out of control for a time, and so it was that apprehension more than anything else. But in terms of uh, you know the illegality of it, or sort of the sort of I, I didn't have any kind of Christian sense or of morality that there was something inherently wrong with it. I had been curious for uh, a long time about visionaries, substances, so-called entheogens. It's just that in the context of this career in the church, it just wasn't going to work for me to uh, be going off to ceremonies and, and taking these medicines. So uh, when mm. I finally ended that, uh, this was an opportunity to explore those dimensions of my being and reality. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Um. What about spiritually? Did you? Uh, I mean, did you have a problem with trying this, or how did you think this would uh, affect your spirituality? And, and did it?
1: Well, my hunch was that it would only deepen my spirituality, and that is certainly true. I mean, I was taken into dimensions and domains of experience that uh, ordinary consciousness don't make available. And you know, the 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 word psychedelic means literally. The opening of the mind, the heart, the revealing of the mind to the depths of what's what's there, and in ordinary conventional reality, um, you know, I some people do, but I didn't have access to these deeper dimensions, and so uh, yeah, the the realm of the invisible and the uh, ancestral realm realm opened up to me, and um, just some kind of fundamental. Principles of reality were suddenly obvious uh, to me just about the nature of reality itself in the big picture, and I I felt more connected to source, however you want, you know, whatever term you want to use, God, God is the great mystery, than actually I, I ever did in my years as a clergyman. I mean, I've often quipped that the best preparation for clergy would be to you know, do a psilocybin journey, or an ayahuasca journey, or LSD, or MDMA. But of course, that's not likely to happen anytime soon.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So you weren't able to feel, you know, the presence of God, or, you know, again, whatever you want to call it. Uh, But when you were, you know, trying ayahuasca, or MDMA, or these other substances, you felt it?
1: Let's just say it was heightened. It's not that I, you know, in my years as church but I, I think my years as a clergy person is, uh you know, it was more intellectual or rational in a way. I was a you know good thinker, big ideas, and it's not that those ideas were off. In fact, some of them were confirmed in my experience of psychedelics. It's just that you know you enter more into the realm of what uh, of the mystical, of of the direct experience. Just kind of hearing about it or talking about it, you actually. Uh, At least this is my experience. I actually was in it and uh, with this kind of intuitive knowing uh, that happens.
0: Yeah. Can you relate even a little bit of um, an impactful experience you had? You know, some of the details, what was it like? What did you feel?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess, especially in the early ayahuasca journeys is a profound sense that despite appearances, everything ultimately is Okay. You know, I think it's Julian of Norwich, she's a Christian, that says, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And so, you know, I, I was just dropped into this uh, realm of consciousness where, you know, sort of a view from 60,000 feet and saw that there's an underlying perfection to everything, uh, despite the fact that in the, in the manifest realm of time and space, obviously everything's not okay. But in some ultimate sense, there's it, it just a the sense that everything is fine. And you are fine, Bruce. And for me, I was I was taken into a deep gratitude with the sense that, you know, I, I wanted to bow in some kind of devotion before the great mystery and just express uh, profound gratitude for the experience of life. I, I saw that life itself was the ultimate value and ultimate worth. And I just wanted to be on my knees and give thanks and and developed a, a kind of authentic posture of devotion and gratitude and awe before the mystery of it all. And that I got a chance, I got a chance at this life and I got a chance to be, you know, it's a great, great gift. Don't squander it. And of course, and, uh... there there are also yeah. the experiences where you realize that sort of the transcendent dimension that... Uh, that everything is interconnected and everything is the manifestation of a, a great unity. Uh, this unity that gets expressed in diversity. And so y- you look around, and when you're in this deep connection with Source or almost identified with Source, uh, one one of the pieces of wisdom that came to me was just to <laughs> know deeply my that the goal of the journey was to be myself. And then I looked around mm-hmm. at everyone else in the room. It was doing and and just the mantra was. Just be yourself. Just relax and be yourself. That's what you're here for. Mm. And if you're being yourself, you're a deep manifestation. You're a deep expression of the love out of which this and other universes were born and continue to be born, moment by moment. But the only way to do that is to drop into your unique self. And of course, a a big part of the journey from that point on is around the question: What's getting in the way? of being my unique self. How come I am unable to simply relax and breathe into the individual that I was born to be? And then the conversation moves from transcendence into trauma, into failures of love. And out of that experience of of the various kinds of failures of love, especially in early childhood, um, for me, what came online was that I developed uh, A whole bunch of core unconscious beliefs about myself and reality that were preventing me from being who I am, and uh, I just call these cubs core unconscious beliefs, and and they're like, I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. I'm too much. I'm not enough. If I'm not what you want me to be, I'm going to die. So, you know, this this model, this map of reality. Which involves core unconscious beliefs, and the dismantling of those core unconscious beliefs is something that came to me in the medicine, and it's a model that I now work with uh, clients who come to the island or talk to me on Skype too. Because in the presence of these beliefs, we are—you know—they basically create our reality.
0: Since you worked with many people and you've had your own issues, is there a common set of, of beliefs that people have that? appear to originate in childhood that uh, hold them back?
1: Yeah, I think there are. I think there's sort of some some core core unconscious beliefs. And I mentioned a few. One is that I'm bad. One is that I don't deserve love. Another is I don't belong. Another is there's something wrong with me. Uh, another is I'm too much, so I need to die Or Another could be I'm not enough, so I need to try harder to be who you need me to be in order to survive. So my experience over time is that these, you know, there are five or six or seven of these core beliefs that are sort of common to most people that, most clients that I'm seeing are on these intensive journeys that I do in the medicine with them. And then it's a matter of helping them to differentiate from that belief that at, at one point was, a, was an intelligent conclusion about themselves uh, because of how they're being treated. But now, in this process of differentiation, realizing that it it was an intelligent conclusion then, but it's not serving you now. And so uh, you can dissolve that belief.
0: How could it have been an intelligent conclusion? You mean the person just thought,
1: well, this makes sense and this is who I am? Yeah, well, what happens is that if, for example, take I am bad, because there's such a profound failure of love, uh, the only conclusion that that little one can come to is that there must be something wrong with me. I must be bad. And the reason is that uh, it's actually intelligent because if the person who upon, who, upon whom I'm uh, dependent for my survival is bad, then I'm really screwed. Your life is that precarious. Mm-hmm. so So they can't be bad or I won't survive. So it must be me that's bad. And if I'm bad, at least I can do something about it. I can try to change. I can try to figure out what they need me to be. I can, you know. But if they're bad, I'm I'm hooped. There's there's literally nothing I can do. So, so that's an intelligent response to these particular con conclude uh, conditions of life. Um, mm. The same with there's something wrong with me. Well, then well, there can't be something wrong with this other because if there is, my life depends on them not th- something, not being wrong with them. So I'll, I'll take, if I, if the choice is between there being something wrong with me or being bad myself and something wrong with them or, 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 you know, uh, they're bad, I'll choose myself every time. Hmm. You just can't figure it out as a little one. You see, why aren't they, why aren't they loving me? Why aren't they connecting me? Why are they rejecting me? Why are they hurting me? Why, you know, there, there's there gotta be some fundamental flaw uh, within me. Okay. And uh, it, it's not actually true, but they're being treated as though it's true, and that's why the opportunity in this this business of spiritual and psychological and emotion, emotional growth is to is to realize that those were premature, nevertheless intelligent but premature conclusions about the nature of self and reality, and now they can be updated and they need to be dismantled because I'm not bad i'm I'm a radiant, beautiful. Uh, incarnation of this love and intelligence out of which whole universes are emerging. And that's who I fundamentally am. I just forgot that because of what happened to me.
0: So what are some of the other uh, common experiences that people have when they're, uh, you know, kids or adolescents that uh, you know cause them to have these damaging beliefs?
1: Well, you know, the common experiences are, are, you know, all the way from uh, simply, uh, Mothers who are unable for whatever reasons to emotionally attach to their children, uh, to neglectful parents, to parents who are indifferent, to parents who sexually abuse uh, or family members, uh, extended family members or friends of the family who sexually abuse or physical violence. Um, You know, all of these are are various forms of trauma that I just call failures of love. And what I know from my experience in the medicine is that we showed up for love, we showed up for connection, we showed up for deep intimacy, we showed up for joy. And it's, it's so traumatic to discover that these things aren't on offer. Uh, and then what we have to do is simply go into survival mode. And in that survival mode, we develop uh, our personalities, which basically are defense structures to help us get through that period of time. And then what happens, and this is why I called the book Dismantled, is that I realized that uh, I had structured my whole personality as a defense against the terrible realization of these failures of love. Because when you're a little kid, when you're a little one going through these, these are too much to bear. They're literally unbearable. And so you have to do something about that. And you repress the experience. You deny the experience. And the medicine just keeps showing you over and over and over again that you're going to have to. To get healthy, you're going to have to suffer the truth. And that involves, oh. you know, people People show up. And a lot of what happens in the beginning is they start seeing this and then they start grieving. They start suffering what was, they start feeling the pain of what was too painful to bear when they were young. And they discover that they can actually feel it now and survive. But they, didn't, they don't know that until they have the experience of it. And then in the context why the psychotherapy is so important is that, you know, in my opinion, all trauma is a failure of relationship. And so healing ultimately doesn't come through the psychedelic medicine. That just opens you up. It's just a tool. The healing comes when a person discovers that, oh, there's at least one other person in the universe that is trustworthy. There's at least one other person I can relax with and not be hurt. There's at least one other person that I can start breathing again, and not have to be on edge And not have to be vigilant and not have to prove myself and if there's one other person then maybe they represent the universe not the parents that i had growing up and suddenly you discover the difference between being in the world uh, in a condition of distrust versus being in the world in a condition of deep trust and that the universe has your back
0: so you were a clergyman for a very long time. Was was part of your work to uh, counsel people when they had problems, or was that other people in the in the church?
1: No, uh I did I did quite a bit of that. I had trained as a psychotherapist at the same time I was going into seminary and there was a toss up which vocation I'd choose and I, I ended up choosing uh the church. But I kinda knew that when that was done I'd I'd go into private practice. But yes, I did I did counseling and you know, um, it would have been really good to uh, know some of the things that I know now through direct experience when I was doing this counseling. But, you know, we can only be where we're at.
0: Do you look back and see that you were telling people things that maybe weren't helpful or wrong, or you just didn't have the tools you have now to to help them out?
1: Yeah. No, it's not that I wasn't wrong. And in fact, intuitively, I was probably right on. But it's it's different when you have the direct experience of having uh, realized your own trauma. So that if you're working with a person who's traumatized and, you, uh, and you're not coming from a place where you've already yourself worked through your own trauma, you've grieved, you've suffered, you've come through it, and you know you know that it's possible to come through it. It's just that you, you have a different kind of presence with that person. Mm. They, they just feel it energetically. That this is a person who's been there. They've been in the trenches. They've been to hell and they've come back. Okay, let's go. You know, they're they're they're, you know, maybe a little more willing to trust.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So when you do these sessions with people, um, I mean, how are they getting the plant medicine just on their own, or you know, they're taking it, or after they've taken it, they speak to you, or how does it work?
1: Yeah, what works is they decide that they want to come to the island and do a bit of a pilgrimage out here. It's beautiful british columbia and island life and it's so serene and uh then the session itself is you know for anywhere from four to six hours with a follow-up session the next day and uh then integration after that um um and they they get the medicine themselves um you know i can help with a source but i don't provide it for them and i don't i don't give it to them they take it themselves um so they arrive with with the medicine of their choice. And then, usually about half an hour before they take it, and then I show up, and then we're actively into the journey um, after about 30 minutes to 45 minutes.
0: Okay. And then, you know, how is the first experience versus subsequent experiences? Do a lot of people have uh, tremendous healing on the first, or does it take uh, much longer for them to experience some healing?
1: Yeah. Well, the first experience can be profoundly transformative. Um, but I think it's critical for people to realize that I mean, you know, as I outlined in my own book, I you know, I had dozens of experiences of ayahuasca and then, you know, uh back to back to back to back sessions of, of psychedelic psychotherapy. So it's not a one shot thing. And it's most effective when there's there's follow up sessions for sure. But uh, you know, many people experience their first session as profoundly transformative and they just naturally want to continue. And I think the continuation of it uh, is important because as I was saying, the healing comes through relationship. Like our hearts are broken in the context of relationship and our hearts are healed in the context of relationship. And building that kind of trusting relationship happens over time. It's not automatic. what I'm saying is that you can have profound insights and revelations on the medicine, which are beautiful and true. But then in terms of translating that into your, like coming down from there, going back into intimate relationships with your beloved other, it it takes a lot of integration then to translate this experience into an intimate relationship with the other.
0: Well, do you find that couples need to do this or is it? okay for one person in the relationship to do it first and then talk to the other what works better
1: everybody's different um i think uh it well i know it's very powerful for couples to do this uh, medicine together i i would say particularly with uh, mdma because uh, couples can get stuck in unhelpful patterns and unhelpful reactions to each other and on the medicine they are able to uh, suspend those defensive reactions and just uh, kind of bring a mindfulness to it and see them for what they are without getting triggered by each other. And MDMA, for example, is an empathogen, so it, which means it uh, creates a condition of profound empathy for the other. So we're couples who've been fighting for years and years and years. They can come in, take this medicine and, and see what they're doing and uh, and open their hearts to each other. So uh, it, that's very powerful sessions when a couple is willing to be in the medicine together in the context of couple therapy. Yeah.
0: If one person has the medicine, you know, do they, and they go back to talk to the other person? Um, I don't know. I mean, are they received well, or does it throw the relationship into a new paradigm yeah. or un- unseated or unsettle it? Like, does it work that way? If just one person does. Yeah.
1: It? That's a really good question. Uh, I I do think it creates a new threshold for possibilities for intimacy to deepen intimacy. Uh, On the one hand, that can be very threatening. So it depends on the couple. I mean, if you're in a situation where, you know, say a woman is kind of further down the path of uh, kind of her spiritual path and journey and and is emotionally a bit more sophisticated with her feelings. And her man goes off to do ayahuasca or LSD or MDMA and comes back with all the insights. The woman's not going to be threatened. She's going to, you know, she's going to be happy. She's going to say that's great, and she's going to be encouraging. If, however, uh, one or the other person kind of takes a, a, a leap forward in terms of their desire for an increase in intimacy, then the old patterns are going to have to dissolve between them in terms of what their relationship had been and that can be threatening and that has to be worked through. So I do think these med- medicines have the potential to catapult us into a, a new threshold for intimacy and that can either be welcomed or a source of threat depending on the couple itself and the condition of the two individuals in their relationship.
0: What can people do to prepare or to make sure that uh, that's less likely to happen?
1: well you, you know have a have a intentional conversation with your partner uh, and first of all, check out you know is, is he or she interested in going down this path and if not, how would they feel about uh you as an individual going down it and uh just make sure there's a lot of clarity and a lot of transparency between you and then obviously, when you come back uh you know you in the sharing of the experience it requires uh, sensitivity and compassion for your partner who wasn't on it because they can feel threatened because maybe you've if you've gone to an ayahuasca journey, there's a whole new community there of sort of co warriors now who've who've been through some kind of ordeal that she or he hasn't been through, and you need to know that that you're not leaving them behind that uh, you very much want to include them in the experience and, and answer all their questions.
0: Is there an order to different substances? Do you always start with ayahuasca? Should for some people it be psilocybin and then transition? And what's the wisdom there? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a uh, very unique to each individual. It just, I, I would say trust and trust and in intuitive calling. Like, you know, it, it, it's mysterious why people would feel called to a medicine like ayahuasca, because it's not exactly, you know, an easy, you know, fluffy spiritual experience. It's a, it's a demanding medicine that's going to take you into your truth. But you know, that, that journey is, you know, going to be difficult, but nevertheless, there, you know, most people will say that they actually felt called to be there. So trust that voice Mm -hmm. that says, okay, it's time. Or trust the voice that says, Uh, not now, but, and, and apply that to the various possibilities of medicine, whether it's MDMA, ayahuasca, psilocybin, you know, LSD, washuma, peyote, you know, whatever it is, really check in with yourself and, and even listen to your dreams because sometimes the medicine will come to us in dreams and indicating that, okay, the the time is right for you. Um, Hmm. But, you know, the the main thing is to, to really treat this as a spiritual path, not as a one-off experience. Just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with kind of showing up and seeing what it's all about. But I think, ideally, these plants and these medicines, there's a the deep intelligence that's, that's wanting to uh, come alive in every person. And so, you know, they offer the possibility that you could actually change your whole orientation in life. And to live more richly, more in touch with the earth, more connected to source. And that ultimately is going to change how you are in relationship, how you relate to the natural world, how you live, the food you eat, how you treat people, how you treat yourself. So it becomes the uh, potential for a, for a whole new spiritual path to open up to you.
0: Okay. What's the best way for um, people to get in touch and ask questions and find out more?
1: Yeah, if they go to BruceSanguin.ca, just my name, BruceSanguin.ca, Uh there's a contact sheet there. And uh, if they want to know a little more about me and the work I've done, my own the, the book Dismantled is basically kind of a memoir of some of my experiences along with sort of philosophical and, and spiritual reflections, um, plus the of the map of psychotherapy that i use so they could also check that out and uh Hmm. but yeah the best way is on my website brucesanguin.ca.
0: all right very good well bruce thanks for coming on the podcast i really appreciate
1: it it's my pleasure thanks for having me you're
0: listening to the future tech podcast with richard jacobs future technologies such as artificial intelligence Stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.